We'll turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. We're continuing our series on authority. I don't believe there's any greater need in the body of Christ than to understand the authority of the believer. So we're talking about authority. We're talking about God's original intent. We say original intent. We need to make sure that we clarify that God didn't have an original intent and a present day intent. He never changes. So his original intent is the present day intent. Concerning the creation account, Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 says, And God said, Let us make man in our image and after our likeness. The original Hebrew means in concerning those words an exact duplicate in kind. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it. Bring it under your control. Subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. Notice again in verse 26, Let us make man in our image and let him have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth. <clears throat> Genesis chapter 1 is the, uh, the summary of the creation account. I'll tell you what, why don't you look with me over to Genesis chapter 2 now and we'll see some of the specifics that it tells us about the creation of man. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7, it says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. I want you to notice that. God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Let me ask you a question. What is it? How do I say this? Um, what is the requirement for who has a dominion on the earth? When God said, I know that's a, that's a confusing way to ask. But when God said, let us make man in our own image and let them have dominion over all the earth. What qualifies man to have dominion? We get so conscious of, or should be so conscious, I hope we are, of the fact that man is a spirit. He has a soul and he lives in a body that very often we disconnect the spirit realm from the physical realm. Now, for the sake of, of understanding and for the sake of uh, distinction, that's a good thing. We need to understand the difference between the spirit realm and the, and the natural realm. But God didn't make man to have dominion because he was a spirit being. If that were the case, then any spirit being would have dominion in the earth. But angels don't. Demons don't. It's not being a spirit being that caused man to have dominion. Now, when God said, let us make man in our, in, in our own image and after our likeness, he's certainly talking about man being a spirit being by nature. But the thing that gives man authority on the earth is his body. That's what distinguishes man from the angels. That's what distinguishes man from demons. That's the very reason why evil spirits 
are very intent on finding some kind of physical body to operate through. Because without that, they have no means of expression here in the earth. Now, when Adam walked with God in the cool of the day, operating in his dominion here on the earth, prior to sin coming in and messing things up, if Adam was aware of the difference between the spirit realm and the natural realm, there's no indication in the Bible. The natural state for Adam prior to the fall was that he controlled the natural realm from that which was within him. Everything he knew about this physical realm, he didn't learn in science class. Although walking with God in the cool of the day could be a science class, I guess. But the source of his information was not university study. The source of what he knew, the source of everything that he knew was his relationship with God. And whatever condition man was concerning his soul and the operation of his soul prior to the fall, he got that as a result of God breathing the breath of life into him. What I'm trying to get across is that Adam didn't distinguish between the three realms the natural realm that he lived in and operated in and had dominion over was ruled by that which was within. I think sometimes we become so spirit conscious, which is a good thing. I'm not trying to throw off on that. I think sometimes we get so spirit conscious, we divide between spirit and natural things and fail to recognize that the spirit realm controls the natural realm. But too many times the church, Christians, have given up on the natural realm. They're looking for heavens to be, heaven to be a means of escape because there's nothing that can be done in this natural realm. There's very little hope for mankind. Most of the church world seems to have the idea that God is in control some way or another. And since he's in control and allows bad things to happen, then the best we can hope for is just to leave the earth. Well, if that's the way God was, I'd want to leave here too. I don't blame people for thinking that. The church has taught that. But when God said, let us make man in our own image and let him have dominion over over all the earth, all the work of our hands. That was God's eternal intent. Even after the new heaven and the new earth is created and God brings the new Jerusalem, the new city, heavenly city down to the earth and rules here on the earth, establishes and sets up his kingdom here on the earth, man will still have authority here. It'll be under God's authority, under God's dominion, under the rules that govern God's dominion, but man will still have authority here on the earth. You know, as a side note, did you notice there in in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7, it says God formed Adam out of the dust of the ground. That word dust is literally dirt or earth. Since your body is made of earthly materials and you have authority over all the earth, you've got authority over your body. It's part of what God delivered to mankind. 
Now, notice God did not say, let man have dominion over the earth until he falls. I have been guilty in times past of saying that man lost his authority when Adam yielded to the influence of the devil and sin came in on the scene. But that can't be true. I thought it was true because 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says Satan is the God of this world. But that can't mean the earth. Because if Satan was the God of this earth, we know that his only purpose is to kill, steal, and destroy. What would delay him from destroying the earth in one fell swoop? Why stretch it out? Why not do something once and for all and just destroy the whole place? If that was within his power. The Bible talks about the destruction that comes on the end during the seven years of tribulation. And the work that the enemy does in raising up the Antichrist. And the Bible says specifically that the only thing that's holding that back is the church now. Well, then at the very least, Satan doesn't have authority over the church. His activity is limited by the church. Can you imagine how we could limit the devil's activity if the church figured out who we were? I mean, if there is withholding and with and, uh, preventing power in the church today, the modern-day church, as weak as the, and impotent as the modern-day church is, can you imagine what we'd be if we figured out who we were? I believe God wants us to figure it out. So, Adam's here on the earth, exercising dominion, walking with God in the cool of the day. The only means that we have to identify Adam exercising or the means of exercising his authority on the earth is the same way God exercised his authority in the creation of the earth, where it says God said ten different times in Genesis chapter 1. Now, that's what changed. Because when God told Adam, forbade him to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, He said, in the day you eat thereof, you shall surely die. Well, he can't be talking about physical death because Adam didn't die physically that day. But he did die spiritually. It's interesting to me how the Bible calls it, God called the tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Adam already knew good. Why wasn't it just called the tree of the knowledge of evil? There's got to be a reason. What was that reason? Well, I think I know. You judge this for yourself. James chapter 3 and verse 6 and 8 says that the tongue is an unruly evil and set on fire the course of hell. Verse 8 goes on to say that it's full of deadly poison and no man can tame it. Well, that's certainly not the condition that God created the tongue. That was not the condition of Adam's tongue when God looked at the earth after having delivered dominion over all of the work of his hands here on the earth unto Adam, looked at everything and said it's very good and then rested on the Sabbath day. God wouldn't have rested on the Sabbath day if the tongue was full of deadly poison and no man could tame it. God wouldn't have said it was very good if the tongue was set on fire of hell. So that must be what changed. Had to be. And it's interesting when you look at what the, what the Bible relates after the fall. It says, when they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which they were forbidden to eat. 
It says immediately their eyes were opened. Now what eyes were opened? What does that mean? Adam operating in in perfect harmony and fellowship with God. In as close a relationship as you could have with God. Made in his image an exact duplicate and kind. How could his eyes not already be opened? Well I believe his spiritual eyes were opened. They had to be. Knowledge that comes from the presence of God within is the, is the very definition of your spiritual eyes open. The source of all of the knowledge that he had. Medical science tells us that we use about 10% of our brain. I think that's high estimate for a lot of people. But there's 90% of our brain capacity that's not used. What if Adam had all 100% at his disposal? wouldn't make sense for God to make 100% of a brain where you could only use 10%. It's not the way God operates. I believe that was one of the conditions of Adam before the fall. So when it says his eyes were opened, their eyes were opened, it said immediately they saw that they were naked and they were ashamed. So maybe that's a hint to what their eyes were opened to. Their eyes were opened to the physical realm Apart from and separate from the spirit realm. Apart from and separate from the origin of the spirit realm. Which was the life of God breathed into them. That must have been the point where their tongue fell. Or we might say it this way where they lost control of their tongue. Now what I mean by that is. Prior to the fall. Adam's tongue because there was no sin. There was no evil. There was nothing that could hurt or harm. Adam's tongue had to be cooked up with his spirit. The source of his words had to be his spirit, his heart. But now if the tongue is full of poison, no man can tame it and set on fire of the course of hell. That had to be the disconnect. And everything that Adam said from that point on had to do with his feelings and what he could see with his physical eye. In other words, he began to to operate from a different source of information. Now his feelings rule. His mind rules. Not his spirit. Now God's on the outs. Because Satan now has corrupted the system that God established on the earth. It's no longer ruled from the heart. But it's ruled by the five physical senses. And their effect on the soul. And so God has no way to fellowship with man. His man, the greatest of his creation, is dead to him, literally. There's no means of fellowship. There's no means of connection. Jesus said, talking to the woman at the well of Samaria in John chapter 4, God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. Well, if you change the word worship to the word contact, then that would have to be true too. God is the spirit and they that contact him must contact him through the spirit. Well, man has no means to do that after the fall. So what does God do? God comes and makes covenants with man. But remember, God has delivered authority and dominion in the earth to mankind. So it's according to man's will and not according to God's. It has to be according to man's will. 
Wouldn't it have been nice if God had said, Adam, I give you dominion over all the work of my hands. But if you mess up, don't worry, I'll step in and fix things. That's the way we want it to work, isn't it? But that's not what God said. There's only one way that God could honor his word and for his word to be true, and that is for man to have been given complete and absolute dominion, whether he handled it it and operated wisely or foolishly. It would have been nice for, for God to have said, Adam, dress and keep the garden, but don't worry, I've made it impossible for you to yield to anybody's influence except mine. That would have been nice. But that wouldn't have been dominion over the earth. Man would have been a puppet with God pulling the strings. And unfortunately, too much of the church world seems to think God's still pulling strings. But that can't be true if the Bible is true. So God has to make covenants with mankind according to man's will. Now, one of the things, uh, turn with me over to Genesis chapter 22. One of the parts of God's covenant with man, his attempts to regain fellowship and a relationship with mankind had to do with the covenant that he made with Abraham. In Genesis chapter 22, God has operated on Abraham's behalf for many years. Abraham has received the child of promise after walking with God for 25 years. And then some 17 years after that, God instructs Abraham to offer Isaac as a sacrifice. God never told him to kill him. He said, offer him as a sacrifice. God knew that he wouldn't let him go through with it. But it was a test on Abraham's part as to how far he was willing to obey God. Well, you know the story how that God takes Abraham up to the, or that uh, Abraham takes Isaac, excuse me, up to the mountain, prepares the, the altar, lights the fire, ties Isaac up like the lamb that he was going to sacrifice or would have sacrificed if it was a normal operation, and lays Isaac on the altar. The angel comes and stops him. And then God says something to him that's very instructive and very important for us to understand when it comes to authority. Genesis chapter 22, verse 26. God said, by myself have I sworn, saith the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing and has not withheld thy son, thine only son, that in blessing I will bless thee and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven. And as the sand which is upon the seashore. Now notice this last phrase in verse 17. And thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. Thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. Thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. Now that's a archaic term. Possessing the gates of your enemies means that you have control over the enemy's strongholds. It's the same thing that Jesus is saying to, uh, in Matthew chapter 16 about upon this knowledge, upon this rock, the knowledge that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. He said, I will build my church 
and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. See, there's a double meaning here. God's telling Abraham that his seed, meaning the natural descendants of Abraham, will be able to withstand their enemies. And that was true as long as they operated in obedience to his word. When they went into disobedience, the curse of the law came upon them and they went into captivity. But it has a greater meaning than that. Galatians chapter 3 in verse... uh, Uh, verse 16 or 17 I'm not sure which one it is let me get it real quick Galatians chapter 3 which tells us verse 13 you're all familiar with Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law being made a curse for us for it is written cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree verse 14 says that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles through Jesus Christ verse 16 it says now to Abraham and his seed where the promise is made This is referring back to Genesis chapter 22. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He said not and to seeds as of many, but as of one and to thy seed, which is Christ. So Genesis chapter 22, as I said, has a double meaning. It's talking about the blessing that will come on the natural descendants of Abraham. But the, the real meaning, the heart of the meaning, as Paul is telling us by the Holy Ghost, is that God is saying because you have not withheld your only son, I won't withhold mine. And your seed, talking about Jesus, coming to the earth, and your seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. Now, who would, who would we identify as the enemies of Jesus? It's talking about the gates of hell. It's talking about the devil's territory. It goes on in verse 29, it says, And if you be Christ, then are you Abraham's seed... And heirs according to the promise. So it's telling us that God's original intent, and there were physical blessings and and results that were attached to it as well. But God's original intent was that Jesus would do something to destroy the work of the devil. And through that destruction of the devil's work, it would belong to you and me too. Now, if you were God, perish that thought. But if you were God and knew how things had transpired as the Bible identifies, where Satan had messed up your system, where he had separated you from the greatest of your creation, and remember the angels marveled when, the, when man was created or the, the idea of creation of man was floated around. What is man that thou art mindful of him and the son of man that thou visitest him? You made him a little lower than the angels. King James says angels, but it's literally the Hebrew word Elohim. You made him a little lower than yourself and crowned him with glory and honor. Gave him dominion over all the works of your hands. The angels are dumbfounded when God says, let us make man in our own image and let them have dominion. They're dumbfounded. Which tells us that whatever was here in the world that was before The recreation account in Genesis chapter 1 wasn't man. I don't have any ideas on what it was. But it wasn't man. Because the angels are astonished at God's plan. So if you're God and know that the devil has separated you from your man. The one you made to have dominion over the works of your hands here on the earth. And you knew the answer was to send your son Jesus 
What would you make the purpose of Jesus coming to the earth to be? If not the destruction of the enemy, your mortal enemy. Well, that's exactly what 1 John chapter 3 and verse 8 says. The last part of the verse says, For this purpose was the Son of God manifest or, or revealed, that he might destroy the works of the devil. The word destroy means to render ineffective or put to naught. It doesn't mean to annihilate and do away with him once and for all. It means to destroy his works. In other words, Jesus came to the earth to free man from the bondage that was imposed upon him when he fell. Now let's identify again what that was. He lost control of his tongue. So that now he knows good. In Adam's case, he knew good from experience. In man's case, from that point forward, he knew good from the word and not from experience. But we all know evil. Now, in Numbers chapter 14, verse 28, we see further evidence of man's authority on the earth. This is when Israel is delivered from the bondage of Egypt and they come to the edge of the promised land. They send the 12 spies in. Ten of the 12 spies come back with an evil report and say, we can't do what God said we can do. Two of them, Caleb and Joshua, give, an evil, uh, give a good report and said, don't rebel against God. Don't speak against him. Stick with him. He can deliver the land into our hands just like he delivered Pharaoh to us as well. The people cried and took the majority report to be the, the way that they'd go. And God says something very interesting. To Moses, he says, say unto them, quoting King James, as truly as I live, as they have spoken in my, in my ears, so shall I do unto them. Now, let me ask you this. Why is it that over and over and over again, God leaves it up to man to determine what his future is going to be? And that is another way of saying that, is it not? Say unto them, say unto the people, Moses, as they have spoken in my ears, so will I do unto them. That's totally contrary to the idea that the modern church has, that God just does whatever he wants to do. Now, this is not some modern revelation. John Wesley, the founder of the great Methodist church, and when it was founded, it was really something. It had the power of God in it. And he had some true revelation from the Lord. He said something that, uh, that most of the people of his day didn't understand. He said this. He said, it seems that God can do nothing on the earth except a man asking. Then he added, why this is, we don't know. Well, I believe we do know. Because God gave man dominion on the earth. Now we know that God's word was followed through. That the people of children of Israel. That generation died in the wilderness. Just like they said. Everybody in that story got exactly what they said. The ten spies said we can't do it. We'll die trying. And they died that day. Caleb and Joshua said we can do it. And 40 years later they did it. Children of Israel said, well, it'd be better for us to die in the wilderness. And so over the next 40 years, they died in the wilderness. 
Everybody in that story got exactly what they said. Just like God said, as you have spoken in my ears, so will I do unto you. But if God's intent is just to wipe everybody out, why didn't he save time and just do it at one, one swipe? I mean, we could have had another Sons of Korah experience where the earth opened up and swallowed up all the people, closed up on top of them. Folks, the answer is very simple, and that is because God doesn't have authority here. He's the owner of the earth because he created it. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. He owns the earth. But he gave man dominion. And he will not usurp your dominion, even if you do like Adam did, and yield to the influence of the devil to misuse your authority, your God-given authority. I think most people have the idea that God was standing right there when Adam fell and should have stepped in and said, wait, 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 don't do it, Adam, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. Don't you remember I told you? You'll die. Here's what that means. The reason I think most Christians think that is because that's what they seem to expect God to do in their lives when they're starting to make a mistake. But we've all found out that God will let us make our own mistakes. And they usually cost us a lot more than we plan for. So here's God in Numbers chapter 14. And we won't take a lot of time. I've taught on this before. But where it says, as truly as I live, most of that's in italics. But it does say in the original text, as I live. Well, in the Hebrew, when he says... As I live, anytime it's talking about as I live, it's talking about an eternal law because God lives for eternity. It's talking about a law that never changes because that's the character and the nature of God. So he's saying, here's the eternal law. As you have spoken in my ears, so will I do unto you. Most important thing we can do as believers, as human beings, is to guard the words of our mouth. Why? Because the tongue no man can tame. It's full of poison, deadly poison, and it's set on fire the course of hell. In other words, you are going to be inspired by your feelings and the influences of this physical realm around you to speak words of destruction. It's the default setting for this new corrupted system. Not the way God created it, but the fallen state that it's in because of man's sin. The default position is to speak contrary to your own best interest. So God said, here's the law, here's the rule, never changes. It'll be this way forever. By the way, it doesn't change when we get to heaven either, folks. It'll be the same thing there. The only difference is we won't have any physical body tainted by sin to influence us otherwise. As you have spoken in my ears, so will I do unto you. Why? Because you've still got authority. You've still got authority. This has to be true. Isaiah 45 verse 11. says, ask me of things to come concerning my sons. And concerning the work of my hands commands ye me. In other words, God's saying, you tell me how you want it to be. Now again, most of the church thinks it's the other way around. That God's supposed to be telling us how he wants it to be. 
Well, if God was the one that had authority here on the earth, he'd just do it whether we said so or not. But he's given us authority. So he said, you ask what you want to know. You declare what you want things to be. Because I've given you authority. Now, let me show you an example. Turn with me over to Luke chapter 1. Let me show you an example of how this works. Luke chapter 1 is the story of the virgin birth. When the angel appears to Mary. We won't read the whole thing. But you know the story how Mary. The angel Gabriel appears to her. Tells her what God's plan is. She simply asks. How is this possible? I've never been with a man. And so God tells her. The angel tells her. The Holy Ghost will overshadow you. And you shall be with child. Notice in verse 38, Mary said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. Be it unto me according to thy word. What is she doing? She's having to consent to God's plan. She's having to consent to God's plan. If she doesn't say okay, God can't do it. Because Mary has authority in her life and in her body. She has to consent. Now the Bible is full of examples like this. In Luke chapter 5 it talks about how that Peter loaned Jesus' boat to preach from. They pushed out a little way from the shore. Everybody sat down on the shore and Jesus sat in the ship. He taught them for a while and then afterwards he said to Peter, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Peter responds and says, it's the wrong time of day to fish. You're a good preacher, all right, but you don't know anything about fishing. We've been working all night long, haven't caught anything. But then he says this. He says, nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. In other words, he's consenting to what Jesus said to do. He has to agree or he's not going to get what God planned for him and wanted to bless him with. He has to consent. He has to use his authority exercised by his words for God to be able to do the good thing that he wants to do for him and on his behalf. I wonder how many of us have missed out on good things God wanted to do for us because we didn't know to exercise our authority to say yes to the word. In Acts chapter 3, every place that you find Where people got saved, you find that they always had to exercise their authority and give their consent to the preaching that was being spoken or the the gospel that was being spoken to them. Acts chapter 3, Peter and John are preaching, or I should say Acts chapter 2 first. Peter and John are preaching on the day of Pentecost. They tell about Jesus and the crowd says, tell us what we must do. That's consent. That's them saying, we'll accept what you're saying about Jesus. Tell us how to get out of the condition that we're in. And he does, and they do, and they get saved. 3,000 people get saved. Same thing happens in Acts chapter 3. After the man was healed at the beautiful gate, Peter and John began to preach to them. It says 5,000 people believed and were baptized. Well, that implies consent, does it not? 
Folks, the, the principle is always the same. The word is spoken. It's either accepted or rejected. And then the results either occur or don't, don't occur based on the acceptance or the rejection. What I mean by that is in Luke chapter 4, we've got a city of Nazareth that rejects what Jesus says about being anointed to heal the sick. It says Jesus could there do no mighty work. Why not? Because they refused to accept it. They used their authority to reject the truth of the word that Jesus preached. It's always the same. Always the same. Acts chapter 10. Peter goes down to Cornelius' house. Preaches about Jesus. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power. Who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. For God was with him. Verse 44 it says that while Peter yet spake these words. The Holy Ghost fell on all them that heard the word. And they of the circumcision which believed were astonished. The ones that came down with Peter. Because they saw that the Holy Ghost was given and poured out upon the Gentiles. For they heard them speak with tongues and prophesy. What happened? They accepted the word that they heard. They accepted the word that they heard. Folks, what we need to understand is that the power is in the word. The power is in the word. It's simply up to us to accept it or reject it. And the way you do that is by exercising your authority through the words of your own mouth. Now, I'm, I'm pretty much out of time. Let me, let me close this up real quickly. Let's go back to an original, the original thought that we had. And that is when Adam fell, he lost control of his tongue. By that, I mean his tongue became unhooked to his spirit. Now his tongue is being influenced by his feelings. The things that he sees and the influence that those things that he sees has on him. His thoughts and his feelings. There's only two ways you can hook your spirit back up to your tongue. Only two. Let me show you the first one over in Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4 tells us that after Jesus was baptized by John in the Jordan River, he departed into the wilderness, spent 40 days out there. And it says, and during that period of time, he was tempted of the devil. The first temptation was in verse 3, the devil said to him, if you be the son of God, command this stone that it be made bread. And Jesus answered him, saying. Jesus answered him, saying. Anytime you see Jesus speaking, he's doing one of two things. He's either delivering the word of God to others, or he's exercising his authority for himself. There's nobody else here, so he's exercising authority for himself. Now, I want you to notice something. He does not use the power of God meaning the anointing of the Holy Ghost to do something about the devil because he wasn't anointed to live. He was anointed to preach the gospel and heal the sick and preach deliverance to the captives and so forth. The anointing came upon Jesus not to make him the son of God. He was already the son of God before the Holy Ghost came. The Holy Ghost came upon him to empower him to help others to do the work of the Christ. But he's still the son of God prior to that. Jesus was somebody that walked perfectly according to the law. That means the blessings of Abraham would come to pass for him and did come to pass for him, had to come to pass for him and in his life, in his personal life, more so than anybody that had ever walked on the earth. That's what God promised. 
keep my commandments and walk perfectly before me and all these blessings will come on you. Jesus had to be blessed in those same ways. Well, Jesus knew the answer for the temptation of the devil. This is not a ministry temptation. This is not an attack on the work that God has given him to do. This is a personal attack. This is something that has to be countered by the exercise of his own authority. Authority is exercised by the words that you speak. So what does Jesus do? Jesus answered saying, it is written. Notice what Jesus does not say. Jesus does not say, well, Mr. Devil, you don't seem to know who I am. I am the son of God. The devil did know that. The devil's trying to use his son of God, anointed of the Holy Ghost power, for his personal well-being instead of the purpose that God designed it for. So notice what Jesus does. We would have to say that Jesus, if he's walking perfectly before the Lord, he's not going to be walking in the flesh, but rather in the spirit. Right? What does walking in the spirit look like for Jesus? Jesus answered saying, it is written. In other words, he's not using his own words. He's saying what the Bible says, which is all they had, the Old Testament law at that time. He's quoting scripture. What does that tell us? That tells us the number one way to speak from your heart is to say what God says. The number one way to hook your spirit back up to your tongue is to say what God says instead of what you think or what you feel. So Jesus answered saying, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Devil tempts him again. Said he took him up into a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said unto him, all this power will I give thee and the glory of them for it is delivered unto me and to whomsoever I will, I give it. If thou wilt therefore worship me, all shall be thine. And Jesus answered and said, Jesus answered and said, he's exercising his authority again. Now, folks, if this is a, a pattern and a principle of how Jesus exercised his authority, shouldn't it be a good pattern and the example for us to follow? Jesus answered and said, Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written. He's quoting scripture again. For it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Then the third temptation, the devil brought him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And said unto him, If you be the Son of God, cast yourself down from hence. The devil always wants to try to make you prove something about yourself. For it is written, the devil can even quote scripture. For it is written, he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee. And in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. And Jesus answering said unto him, It is said, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. He's quoting scripture three times. The exercise of Jesus' authority in his own personal life to defeat the devil when the devil attacked him individually was to the spoken word quoting of scripture second way you can hook up your spirit with your tongue 
is over in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Beginning in verse 13, Paul said, Wherefore, let him that speaketh in an unknown tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prays. But my understanding is unfruitful. The Bible says in Acts chapter 2 and verse 4, When they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, they spake with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Their mouth, their voice, doing the talking, but it's the Holy Ghost that originates the words. Those are the only two ways that the Bible tells you you can hook your spirit back up with your tongue. Either quoting the word of God or speaking in other tongues. That's it. Now did you notice over in James chapter 3 and verse 8 it says the tongue can no man tame? That means without the, the ability of God through the word or by the spirit you can't do it on your own. But thank God when you quote scripture when you say what God says about you, you're taming your tongue. When you speak in other tongues, you're taming your tongue. Now no longer is your tongue set on fire of the course of hell, but it's set on fire of the course of heaven. You're re-entering the original state that Adam was in. Now I'm not saying he spoke in tongues. I don't know about that. But he did speak from his heart. He spoke directly from his spirit, the source of his life. The source of your life and the source of your power. To defeat the devil and to overcome in any area and circumstance of life is to speak God's word. And then pray in, the, pray in other tongues, pray in the Holy Ghost, and build yourself up in the process. That's how you gain control of your tongue again. And if you don't, then the Bible is true for you. Your tongue is set on fire the course of hell. Yeah, but I don't want it that way, Pastor Mike. Well, it's going to be that way if you don't speak the word and speak in other tongues. It's the default setting for the world. It's just the way things are. Thank God for the privilege that we have to live out of our spirits. The Bible says in John chapter 20, John chapter 5, verse 27, it says that God has given Jesus, God gave Jesus, the authority to execute judgment because he's the son of man. In other words, Jesus is saying I had to be born of a virgin to come into the earth so that I could legally have authority as a human being. He didn't take on him the nature of God when he came to the earth. He laid that aside. He didn't take upon himself the nature of angels. He took upon himself the nature of man. And that's what gave him authority to exercise judgment. One translation says to do justice in the earth. What justice did Jesus bring in the earth? He destroyed the power of the devil. That was the justice that he came to make right. That was the righteousness that he came to accomplish. To destroy the works of the devil so that no longer is God's creation, his finest creation, mankind, separated, but made new by the blood of Jesus. Boy, if we can just get our eyes open to the authority that belongs to us and begin to exercise that authority the way Jesus did, the world itself wouldn't be able to hold us. They'd say of us, just like they said of others in Jesus' day, or in Paul's day, they that turned the world upside down have come here too. 
Well, let's pray. Hallelujah. Father, we love you. Thank you so much for your authority, the authority that you've given us. Thank you for your plan for us to have this authority and dominion on the earth. Thank you that Jesus has restored us to a place where we can walk in that authority here on the earth by saying what you said, saying what is written in the word of God. And oh, Father, what a privilege it is to speak in other tongues, to pray in the Holy Ghost, to speak divine secrets and mysteries. We don't understand what's being said, but you do. And we know that that language that you give us to speak makes tremendous power available. It edifies us. It strengthens us. It causes us to be spiritually empowered to accomplish your will, your plan, and your purpose here on the earth. Open our eyes, Lord. Open our eyes. We keep going over some of these same things again and again so that we might see. Show us, Lord. that we might cooperate with you. Lord, we say that your word is full of power. We say that your word in our lips comes to pass. We don't say that because we feel like it. We say that because we believe it to be true. So Satan, we serve notice on you. The gospel, the word of God itself, is the power of God to deliver us. To set us free. To set us on high in every circumstance and in every situation. And this is the victory that overcomes the world. This world system. Even our faith in God's word. Therefore we declare that we're healed by the stripes of Jesus. We declare that the blessing of Abraham is ours. We declare Father in Jesus precious name that everything we put our hand to prospers. We declare that we are free. In every respect, because he whom the Son sets free is free indeed, totally, completely, absolutely free. Satan, take your hands off of our finances. Satan, take your hands off of our bodies. Satan, take your hands off of our relationships. Satan, take your hands off of our families. In the name of Jesus, we prohibit the work of the devil in our lives. And we loose the power of God to walk as children of God here in this earth. We're in this world, but we're not of it. And God has given us authority over all the works of the devil. In Jesus' precious name, amen. 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 Thank God for our authority. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you for being with us. God bless you and have a great rest of the week.